Zach Servideo from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Black Tech Pipeline founder, Paris Chandler. Hi, Paris. Hello. How are you? I'm doing wonderful today. Thank you. Uh, as I as I just told you pre-podcast, just just got the kiddo, <laughs> just got the kiddo down for a nap. So hopefully we'll have no interruptions over the next hour or so. How how are you doing today? I'm good. And and same about the interruptions. My son is downstairs, so he may or may not just come intruding. So we'll see. Cool. And your your son's name is Sevi? Sevi, yeah. Yeah. All right. If he if he makes appearance, we, we, we could give him we can give him a little shout out, give him a little airtime. Cool. I love that. We're in the middle of a pandemic, you know. Normal rules are thrown out the door. Uh, typically I would love to do this in person. The first 40 episodes were in person. The last several have obviously been different because of COVID-19. But my, um, my hope is that in the future we'll, we'll meet up in person. I'd really love. And, um, but in, in the meantime, we'll just have to catch up here digitally and, uh, and, and share this conversation with the world. Um, I'm going to read through just a brief summary for for listeners, and and then we can kind of flow in a conversation. How's that sound? Okay. Cool. Paris Chandler is a former esthetician turned front-end developer. She transitioned into tech in 2017 after participating in Resilient Coders, a coding boot camp for people of color. Chandler is the creator of the hashtag and movement Black Tech Twitter, bringing awareness and exposure to the Black community in the tech industry. She's also founder of Black Tech Pipeline, a service-based platform focused on recruitment and retention of Black technologists and connecting them to opportunity extenders. Chandler runs a popular Slack and Discord community for Black Tech Twitter, as well as newsletter a newsletter dedicated to shining a light on influencers within the community. Awesome. Th- uh, thank you, Paris, for being here with us today. Um, I've grown quickly grown very fond of your um, outspoken nature on social media. I think that um, it's, it's um, your, your voice is, is important. And, 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 and recently um, has been very um, inspiring just in, in what, how far we need to clearly go uh, with race relations in, in America, certainly in Boston. So I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast today. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of 
getting to know you better and, and sharing your your background and, and sort of your aspirations with the community. So thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Yeah. So let's talk about where it all started. You grew up locally. You grew up in uh, in in Cambridge, in Cambridge, Mass. Is that where you spent the, most of your childhood? Literally my entire life in Cambridge, literally the <laughs> same house. So, yes. <laughs> And if you don't mind my asking, like, so what, what, age, what age are you now? Cause I know, I got to know some Cambridge cats. I'm 29. I just turned 29 last week. So. Okay. I'm going to throw a few names at you. Zach Azam. No. No. Okay. What about the Smith family? Andrea, Ryan, um, you know those guys? Ooh. No. No. I, I, okay. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Yeah. My yeah. memory is trash. <laughs> like I need to see you in person. So just keep that in yeah. mind. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so what's it like going up, growing up in Cambridge? So let's say, what was it? It was kind of late nineties, early two thousands. Um, you know, you, you described your childhood pre-podcast as, um, as amazing. Like, you know, like you had kind of you, similar to me. I mean, I got a few years on you. Um, but it was nice, like a lot of, lot more out, you know, a lot of outdoor activities, um, mm-hmm. a little bit of computers and tech, but, um, you know, how did you keep busy in, in, in Cambridge and like any of that spotty memory you have, like any fond memories of sort of growing up sort of, you know, in, in so close to sort of the heart of Boston? Yeah. Um, so a lot of my friends, I went to Amigos school, which was down in the coast sort of. So. Um, I had lots of friends there after school. We would go to like the corner store and then after there, I'd go over to the basketball court. Um, and then during the weekends, we'd be in the port. Um, just like causing, just being kids, like just like causing trouble, doing the water gun, water balloon things, chasing each other. Like yeah, doing the, I mean, I mean, we did a lot. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I feel like I had an adventure every single day. I was never really bored. You were always outside, um, you know, going, crashing different barbecues and birthday parties and meeting up at each other's houses, staying there till super late. It was just fun. It was positive. And I don't know. It just felt like we were one big family all over Cambridge. Nice. Yeah. As someone who didn't experience Cambridge in Somerville until like, you know, after I went to college, because like I grew up in the bur- like way out, like I could, you know, beyond the burbs, really, but Methuen, Lawrence area. Um, I lived in Somerville for for a few years in my twenties, and yeah, everything's so close. Everyone kind of everyone's kind of up in each other's business, but in a good way. Like for yeah. the most part, like lots of cookouts. Just you know, like all right, you're hosting today. Like I love the yeah. Camberville, the Camberville area. Some of my friends <laughs> have have gotten yeah, me to yeah. call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, um, so what, how, like, was it relatively diverse for you growing up? Like oh, yeah. what was like, were your friends like of all different, like in your, in your, in your mixed race? I am. I'm half black, half Puerto Rican. Okay. Um, my Puerto Rican family members, actually, they almost all live in Cambridge okay. um, or not all of them, but like a really big portion. I have a really big family. So a lot of them, we literally live right next to each other. A lot of them are in the port actually. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. And then my friends group was super diverse. Um, you know, we had black, Latino, um, uh, white, and not just black American, like 
African, like from just from different areas. It was just super diverse. It was really dope. And like, it was to the point where you didn't even notice when there wasn't diversity. And that, because sure. that's how, that's how much you were around it. It was just like second nature. It's just like, Oh, okay. This is normal, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a really dope. Great time. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mentioned these pre-podcasts, but for listeners, like you sent me some photos that we'll be using for the design work for um, the Boston Speaks Up promotion on Bostono. And I had to do a double take because you look exactly like my sister-in-law. And yeah. my sister-in-law also have Puerto Rican. And I was like, I showed my wife. I'm like, am I crazy? She's like, oh, that looks like Michelle. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm not nuts. Um, it, I'm so excited to see a picture of her. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll send it to you after. Um, she, she's she's a hot shit, as are you. Um, what's like? I'm curious. Was Cambridge changed? Like, are you still living in Cambridge to this day? And like, has Cambridge changed? Is it still like just stick? You know, kind of from a you know from a diversity standpoint. Obviously, there's been a bit of gentrification in Cambridge and Somerville. Um, does it feel similar, or different? Like, how's it evolved? It's. I still live in Cambridge and it is completely different. And I mean, the people are gone. The the shops are gone. The shop owners have moved out. Like it's so different. When I would walk down to the port, I'd walk down to the coast. I'm surrounded or I used to be surrounded by my people, you know, like I'm saying hi because like, Oh, I go to school with that kid. I go to after school with that kid. Oh, we went, we were at that party once, you know, so I'm seeing right. people who I'm familiar with. I've, seen them before and now i am walking into these places and i'm like what it happened they're gone like i remember being younger i'd be on the way to my friend's house and there would be something happening at the basketball court just full of people like um you know black and brown people just there you know having a barbecue playing a basketball game and i would stop and just watch and talk to people i know now when i walk by it's like tech bros just yeah. playing a little game of basketball like all of my people are gone and it's it's so strange, like the port, um, which we we used to call like the projects. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even see people who look like me there. Like you know, it's it's full of um, just be blunt, like it's white people, yeah. and so it's just so weird for me. And I'm just like, it's it's changed so much. Like it's just so it's different, and it's it's kind of like a, a lonely feeling, I guess. It's like, I don't know where everyone went, but now I'm here alone, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but is this sort of homes become somewhat unfamiliar? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's almost like yeah. I feel out of place and I shouldn't even feel that way. I was yeah, born like, I've been here, here forever. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. What, um, from like a civic leadership standpoint, like, uh, you know, you mentioned you got a big family that has kind of maybe maybe the exception in that y'all have sort of stayed in, in that Cambridge port area. Um, are there any, you or any of your family members like involved a bit in local politics and try, like, is there like, have there been, have there been efforts or have there been, has there been some backlash oh, yeah. from the community? Like, Hey, like we need to be more intentional in how we evolve. Oh yeah. Um, and so I don't know exactly from a housing standpoint, I do know as far as like, um, the the school districts they're trying to be more intentional and you know i i'm kind of i know a little bit about the housing situation but not too much and this is really because my mother has worked for um cambridge public school systems since i was in kindergarten you know 
And okay. so I, I know what's going on. I'm even involved in a few groups, but we're, it's always involving like teachers and bias and internal racism within the school district and things like that. Um, but we, we do, we, we bring up that, you know, the, the housing situation and people are being kicked out. They can't afford this. They can't afford that. And they're being replaced by all of these um, luxury buildings and things like that. And so while it's nice that we're bringing awareness to it and we want to take action, um, it's really hard. There's just so many borders up and they make it really difficult, you know? Um, right. So we're definitely trying, but. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your, so your mom has worked for Cambridge public schools, like sort of her, her, career. so she, she, she a teacher and like, what, what, what about your dad? Um, she's not a teacher. She's a parent oh. liaison and she does, she Got works it. with, um, you know, families of domestic violence, homeless families, um, and things like that. And oh, wow. my father, he, he used to be a, um, he used to own trash businesses, like the dumpster businesses. That's what, yeah. that was his thing. He, he owned a bunch of those. So he wasn't really as much involved, um, in this type of work at all, to be honest. Yeah. Uh- your so your mom's work sounds fascinating does she have like a psychology degree like like what did she nope she nope. just kind she, of be, be, was very engaged in in helping people like that's an interesting mm-hmm. liaison role yeah and she did it for the government too um before wow. i started school she was doing it for the government um and then once i started school there was an incident that happened with me that made her get into working um for the the school system so yeah do you mind sharing what that incident was the it was something i can't even say if this is related to race but what happened was the the bus i was supposed to take the bus home and they were very negligent and so they dropped me off somewhere i wasn't supposed to be and they lost track of me they didn't know where i was my mom asked where they dropped me off they said we don't know we don't remember like I was basically oh missing. Yeah. yeah. And so How old were you? I was, I was young. I think I was five. Oh, I just, start, I literally just started school. It might've been like the first day. Yeah. Five is um, start school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, after that, my mom was like, you know, okay. F this. I'm <laughs> never going to let this happen again. And then she got involved and she's been working ever since. Oh, your mom sounds like a badass. Um, she does not play around. Is she a bit, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure you may have a range of mentors, but is is it safe to say like you've kind of drawn a lot of your, 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 your strength and, and sort of peel in life, like from your mother? Oh yeah, definitely. If, yeah. if anyone, she's the first one, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Wait, did she grow up locally as well? Yeah. So she actually grew up in, she, she's from Boston. So she went from, like Billerica to Somerville to Cambridge. Um, and there she actually dealt with a lot of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a, she's a Puerto Rican woman and she dealt with all the racism because she went to school with pretty much just all white kids. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's what really prompted her to get involved in this work hardcore. Yeah. Bill Ricca is, um, so that that's that's my that's my area, the Merrimack Valley. So she kind of made her way from from kind of the valley to Somerville into the city, and it's yep. it's it, it only gets it only gets 
whiter, I guess, when you get out of Boston. I mean, it's Boston because Boston has its diversity, but it's kind of like I feel like it's disparate. Like like people are kind of in their pockets, and then um, yeah. But then you get to a place like Lawrence, where like my wife grew up, like and she was it was predominantly um, like Latino, like the yeah. Puerto Ricans, Dominican. Like my wife and her sister both have the same father, who's Puerto Rican, but their yeah. stepdad was Dominican. And then here's the funny part of the story. Their mother's Irish. And so, she, but she's a Spanish teacher in Lawrence or was for decades and taught in, yeah. taught in um, South America. And so, and loves, loves Spanish men. So like she, <laughs> so they, their, their dad's Puerto Rican. And then they, the, the sort of stepdad that they spent a lot of their childhood with was, was Dominican. So they have a brother who's Dominican. Um, but if you go to Lawrence, it's like, it, it's it's a lot of it's so it's like very um very diverse um actually oh yeah too, i have a lot of friends that grew up you know i grew up in um in methuen and i have some friends that have kind of migrated to lawrence that are really cool and cool like 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 they've taken over the old mills and they do arts projects with like just like lo- like the local youth organizations and it's just like a very it's like a very vibrant diverse community to um to do like meaningful things um yeah. with and so um anyways I, I i digress but 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 i just I, that was interesting to share um i, I wonder if yeah. my so my son's father is puerto rican yeah. and he has yeah. a huge like all yeah. of the puerto rican family live in lawrence and i'm just wondering oh, yeah. if maybe they <laughs> we'll have to play that yeah i mean you, you definitely should come over with sevi for a cookout this summer um, oh yeah, and he, can, and he can play with Mila, and you can meet my wife, and we can play the name game in Lawrence. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, she's she's got a she's got a pretty big like because she doesn't have a she hasn't had a relationship with her father in a in a in a long time, but she has a relationship with like her father's family, and it's like a big Puerto yeah. Rican family in Lawrence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. So, a bit more like a, you know, growing up, I mean, I. I and I appreciate your openness and I think it's so important at this time in the world that um, I think we're all like fair and honest with like the boundaries that people want to keep. But I think you, you, you're really outspoken and, 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 and have a really sort of beautiful mindset that, that I can tell, you know, so far I'm getting to know you and that you're willing to share so openly, like what you've experienced and how you feel. Uh, one of the questions I asked you kind of pre-podcast, I'd love for you to just share a little bit, like just, some of that early racism that you encountered as, as a child. I mean, you mentioned you grew up in a really diverse community. A lot of people that, that, that looked like you, you felt at home and and that sense of place has maybe been lost a little bit because Cambridge has been perhaps like over gentrified and, and I'll say it like whitewashed. Um, Mm -hmm. But you still encountered racism as, as you know, at a young age and, and be curious if you could maybe share a little bit of like, you know, the, those those early memories and just like maybe how long it took for that to sort of wash over you as to like what really had happened yeah so I thought was really I felt like they were really minor things that they I guess it didn't occur to me it's like oh that was racist you know because I was really young um but the the most prominent memory that sticks out to me was I think I was either in third or fourth grade um I was at this, I went to school in East Cambridge and I think East Cambridge has really always been white. It's it's pretty, Mm -hmm. it's like a white city, but but the schools are very diverse. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I was at the playground after school by myself. There was nobody around. And my mom worked at the school at that time, so I was waiting for her. So I'd be there kind of late. Um, and I was in the park playing with the tire swing. And I remember these three, these three white siblings who... They went to school with me, but they weren't in my school. So their two schools shared one building, and that's. Um, and so I was in one part of the school; they were in part of the other. Um, right. Because I've seen them before, and so they were walking up to me, and they were just telling me like, "Oh, you need to leave. We want the tire swing. You know, you can't touch it." And they were just kind of talking to me like they were a boss. Yeah. And I was like, "Um, no." So I was very um, outspoken then. I was like, "You're not going to talk to me like that." I had a lot yeah. of ego then. So they they were like, um, they looked at each other and then they go, I'm not going to say the word, but they go, mm. if it if it looks like an N-word and it talks like an N-word, it is an N-word. Right. And so Jesus. they, yeah, they, so for whatever reason, it didn't register with me how bad that was. Right. For me, it kind of was kind of like, huh. And that was really it. Like, you know, it, yeah. it didn't click with me. It's like, oh, you should probably tell someone, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was that. But that's like the earliest memory that I think about a lot. Because I'm like, what would I have done had I known how awful that was? I know? was just going to ask you that. Like, you're in third or fourth grade then. So I wouldn't expect you to have, like, your badass, like, 29-year-old retort then. But if you could, right. if you could, what, what, would, what would it be? Would you just be like, or would you just scoff at them? Like, you guys don't get it. And you're like, you reap what you sow. Like, like what what would it be? Oh, my. It's so, <laughs> there's a lot of things that could have happened. <laughs> like, there's a part of me where. Had adult you been there? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, I'm 29 now, right? So I've experienced yeah. a lot. And so there's a lot of anger that I hold in because there's nothing I can really do with it, you know? Right. So if I had this anger as a child, knowing I'm a child, knowing can't get in that much trouble, I might fight them. Like, I don't know. I honestly don't. It really depends. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some part of me that'd be like, Oh my God, you're pathetic. Like I'm not phased by you. You know, yeah. like, I don't know what would happen until I am actually in that situation again. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and did you end up continuing on in school? Like, I know you weren't in the same school, but like, like, did you guys kind of like, did you see those kids like as you aged, or did they just like they're just part of this memory and they kind of just left, or they're not like well, you knew when you were like eighteen and you were graduating high school, or were they? No, I yeah. saw them. Like, I I saw them a lot. I don't see. I haven't seen them yeah. in years. I'm talking about yeah. like since I was really little. I yeah. saw them after that, but it it like even when I saw them, I wasn't angry you know it's like whatever what they said to me for whatever reason it like didn't stick with me then like i I didn't really think about it you know yeah and i don't i really don't know why (laughs) yeah well you were young (laughs) and and it's i mean it takes time i mean different different things take time to over young brains um I've talked to people who have lost like a father or a mother when they were nine or 10 years old, which I think is around third or fourth grade. And like, um, you know, you know, my one friend told me a story where like he was 18 or 19 years old and he, and he cried over his mother's death and his mother had died 10 years ago. 
And it just, for some reason wow. it washed over him as he was like embarking on like his journey into college. It was just like, he had never really, he was, he just didn't, he didn't have the emotional capacity to kind of work through like what he had experienced. So, um, there's a lot of that. I've had, I've had some friends that who've done like child psychology work and worked with a lot of, um, you know, kids who have unfortunately dealt with, with difficult things at a young age. And it's, um, you know, it, it, there's that you, you can't ever change about you. Um, and in fact, you need to celebrate and learn how to like, you know, ha- you know, harness the energy from, from it to be a more sort of, um, you know, find the silver lining to, to create a, 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 a sort of like superhero verb yourself where like the challenges you face become like, you know, all these like calluses that build up to give you more strength to kind of take on the world. Um, right. Yeah. That makes this, sense. That's the way I like to look at it. Um, so talk about like what you were, as you're kind of graduating high school and thinking about, right, you got, you got this wonderful um, life in Cambridge. You're a lot around a lot of family and you're um, sounds like you got, you know, good support system from your family. And what, what were you kind of, you know, talk about sort of like career one or two or three, like you think you've, you know, you like me, it sounds like you've worked in the, the bar scene in Austin, which I'll just drop a few on you real quick. Um, I was a, bar back i was a doorman a bar back and a bartender at poorhouse and whiskeys on boylston mm-hmm. street for some years that's how i paid through college and then when i when i got my first job after college and i found out that um the pay of entry-level jobs in tech especially tech pr sucked <laughs> i remember i got a thirty thousand dollar a year job and i was like holy shit i need to buy a car that's worth more than half of this um <laughs> so i immediately got a job at joshua tree in davis square Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, that's actually where I met Zach Azam and some other dudes from from Cambridge. Like when I was working that job, I was working with like a bunch of like young kids from Cambridge. I was like twenty three out of school, and I was yeah. like, um, so I need to. Work. And, and I'll never forget. I had this manager at my first at, at my first job who was like, "Yeah, you know, we have to have a talk because um, I don't think you're taking this job serious enough." And I was like, "How so?" Well, I heard you're working at this bar, and I was like, "Yeah." because I'm poor, <laughs> like, I, right. this, like, so what? And then I, and then I found to this day, he's become one of my great, great mentors. I found this other, this other dude at the agency who was like from Roxbury and like totally blue collar guy. I was just like, Hey, listen, I heard you got some shit because you have a second job. Like that's bullshit. You're on all my teams now, but instead of being on four, I'm going to pull it on like seven projects and I'm going to work you hard, but like, I got you. Um, yeah. I was like, all right, sweet. Um, so anyways, I guess I bring this up because, um, I, my, my wife who, who's worked around Boston, like she used to work at gypsy bar. And like, we, we always say like our daughter, like whatever financial position we may work hard to put ourselves in, like when Mila's, you know, 16, 17, 18, we're like, she is working in the, uh, sort of restaurant industry. Like she is humbling herself and like, we're, and, and also just like working with like just cool people like that kind of tend to work in the sort of bar and restaurant industry. I just think it's a really good experience. It was a good experience for, for us. So um, anyways, little color for me, but you know, curious, like talk about some of the early jobs you had and then sort of pers- pursuing um, the initial career as an esthetician. Um, 
and then maybe how and then how tech maybe started to kind of bleed into your life as an interest and and then how you pursued that yeah um so i'm trying to think so my jobs are i always worked in the food industry i never worked retail so Ooh. i was always actually i did i tried waitressing once um, yeah. And I hated it. It gave me anxiety. I don't like talking yeah. to people. I don't like them staring at me. I don't, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Tried it no, once, I never and did I the later like, thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm almost there. So I was a hostess for the rest. This restaurant doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Atasca's. Atasca. Um, and then okay. I moved on to, like, that wasn't my first job. First job was like Dunkin' Donuts, Papa Gino's, got fired from both, went on to a Tasca, quit. <laughs> I went to, um, what is that restaurant called? It's still there. Um, Tavern in the Square. Oh, I nice. did, ta- yeah, I was yeah. hostess at yeah. Tavern in the Square. Okay. Um, and I was hostess at Foundry on Elm and Davis. Um, oh, yeah. For, Where were you a for- hostess at Foundry on Elm? I was, this was back in 2013, 14. Okay. So it was right after I moved out to LA. Cause I used to go to Foundry and Elm a lot in like 2010, 11, yeah. 12. Yeah. It's a good spot. Yeah. It is. I love yeah. the, their Cobb yeah. salad, the bacon yeah. when they're Cobb salad. I was, I was yeah, got extra bacon. I was money. like, this is amazing. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. Actually, you just reminded me that I moved to LA and I moved to New York. I can't believe I left that out. But, oh wow! When did you? Yeah. When did you move to LA? Um, right after. So I moved to New York in two thousand and nine. Okay. Um, two thousand ten for that was for college, and that's when I started pursuing um, acting. And then cool. in two thousand, then in two thousand ten to two thousand eleven, I pursued acting in LA. I moved to Santa Monica with my friends. Um, that didn't oh, work out. <laughs> so I went back to Boston. Okay, wait, I got to double click on this though. So you, so what school did you go to in New York? It's like a hacking Pace school. Uni- it oh, was Pace. Pace University. They're okay. pretty popular because yeah. they had that. There used to be a show. I forget what it's called, but they had a lot of um, celebrities come on. They do um, interviews and stuff at the school. Um, yeah. And a lot of kids went there to learn like writing, journalism, directing, and all that. So um, I was over there cool. in Manhattan. So I nice. was there. Yeah. And then I moved and the, to, yeah, go ahead. So, so talk to me about Santa Monica because I, I could not have lived in, I, I lived in LA for almost five years. I lived in Hollywood for a year. It was yeah. cool, but it was a concrete jungle. And I went to Runyon Canyon every day to just actually seek out nature. And then we moved to Venice. I liked Venice, South Venice, kind of Marina del Rey, kind of, but like, but Santa Monica for me, was like, it was very touristy. It's very like, can try like like i like it it's beautiful but there's something about yeah. it that just didn't it didn't jive with me like it lacked culture which is why i like venice a lot and do like venice yeah. has a lot of culture i thought like all the culture got sucked out of santa monica and amplified mm-hmm. venice um right so that's my take on it but I mean, what was it like for you living in santa monica i loved it so okay listen i loved it but i did not love the people if that makes yeah. sense so well, that's that's what my wife would say exactly <laughs> okay so yeah so it was beautiful like going on walks was so fun going on bike rides i'd bike from santa monica beach into venice beach it was beautiful sure. um and I, I just, it was just so different it was so different from boston it was so different from new york 
everyone was sexy. Everyone was like pursuing something dope. They knew this person and that person, you know, had friends of all different like colors and backgrounds and they were just doing dope shit. LA is is diverse. It really is. Yeah. 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 I, I, I loved it. Like even the, yeah. I loved going just to the grocery store because it was so pretty. I was like, oh my yeah. god, I love it here. Um, yeah. You know, well, and most I was of your out friends there... from the from the East Coast, though. Like, did you like all the people you met? You're like, no. oh, you're from? Oh no, they were from all over. No, they yeah. were. Uh, most of them were from California. Oh, interesting. Um. So yeah, I because I moved. I did move in with a friend from Boston. Um. I he, or from Cambridge specifically. He went to Ringe. So I moved in with him because he was out there pursuing a modeling career and I wanted to be an actress. So I moved in with him um, and he lives in Santa Monica. And then I met his friends who were already from there and, you know, they were amazing. I don't know. They're really cool people. So um, I made friends with them. Then I met people because I was trying to become an actress. So I meet people at like casting calls and things like that. And I think that's when I started noticing how much I don't like the people so much. Yeah. and I think it was really because I'm in an industry we're all competing for. So that's right. probably why we didn't really build really great relationships. Yeah. So. The, um, the joke I have for, for, for the act sort of like aspiring thing population of LA is they, um, they're not the best um, wait staff at restaurants because they're all, because like, everyone's who's, trying to be an actor or actress like so many of them are like the wait staff at restaurants and like yeah. the service is so because everyone's like oh this is just like the job i'm doing while i'm like building my acting career i'm like well it's cool yeah. but like can you just like do your job right now <laughs> yeah I a mean, lot I, of them, I've, <laughs> they were like uh a lot of people worked at well it's so it's actually the culture is friggin' weird so like yeah even to be a waiter at certain restaurants was like an audition oh, because yeah. Yeah. So many um, producers or directors, they'd go eat there frequently. And so if you're a waiter for that certain person, it's like you have a chance to say something or introduce yourself or show that you're some special breed of human and they should cast you in whatever role, you know? So no, I, yeah, was, yeah, totally. You know, it was yeah. so weird. Even working at retail stores, it's like an audition. It's not a simple fill out an application. Like, it wasn't like that. It was It's very strange. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, servers would proactively bring up, like, their their aspiring career because they wanted to see if maybe it would compel, you know, you, you know, me, you know, or, or whatever patron to say like, Oh, I'm a cat. Like as if the conversation would go, okay, I'm an actor. Yeah. Oh, I'm a, Oh, I'm, I'm a casting agent. Oh, my friend's a casting yeah. agent. I'm like, you seem, you know, you're cute and uh, you're attractive and, and you seem nice. So I'll just get you. Cause it doesn't work like that. That's the thing. Like right. I played, I played in the Santa Monica soccer league. My brother, who's 19 months younger than me, moved out to LA before me. And, um, and I mentioned my wife's uh, sister was out in LA. So when I met my wife, like we met in Boston, we were both like fronting. I was like, I, I don't want anything serious. I, I think I'm going to move out to LA and like, you know, hang out with my brother and play soccer and pretend mm-hmm. I'm 18. Um, and she's like, well, I'm going to move out to LA and hang out with my sister. And I was like, oh yeah, well then maybe this will work. We, yeah. we literally had like a one year anniversary, like driving cross country with, um, with her dog, uh, Lucky, who's become uh, our dog, and is 17 years old, and is, I'm staring at him right now. He's my office companion, and um, wow. he's 17 years, 17 years young. He's very healthy, and uh, wow. so so we went out to LA and started playing soccer with other. And my brother was like, he worked for uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, who did like the Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. movies, Sean yeah, Levy, yeah. who did Stranger Things, and so like, and and he 
and organized an 11 v 11 like soccer team in the San Walker soccer league. And everyone who played in the league, all the different teams were like CAA agents and like producers and casting agents. And like, so his relationships and eventually mine were like with like all these people who were like working in the business. But like, we also had like, you know, a buddy on our team who was like an, an actor and like, as good of a relationship as he had with like the people on like the dude on our team whose wife was like one of the top casting agents in LA, it didn't give him like any extra opportunity to like get a role, you know? Right. And also like my our buddy who was the actor, like was more savvy than to be like, yo, like, can you hook it up? He was just say, hey, Yeah, just think about me, like if it's ever an opportunity or whatever, you know? And so it yeah. always just it was just always funny to me because it's it's so much, you know, life's so much more complex than like I'm going to get a job at a place where people show up and then I'm going to be made like the, that like pursuit of manifest destiny specific to LA is such a dream. It's such a dream. It's so interesting. But, but my brother actually wrote a book about this, which is like how, if everyone could be so lucky to go out to California and spend time in LA, it's actually like a really beautiful and at times humbling experience to kind of like rounding out like your worldview as like an East coaster. Um, yeah. So anyways, off on a tangent, but, but that's so funny. <laughs> I didn't realize you, so you lived in, in LA as well. So you have, so we have like multiple layers of, um, commonalities between us that we'll have to cover at a later date too. Cause it sounds like, it sounds yeah. like you and my wife and I could, could, could geek out on the, the pros and cons of, uh, of the West side of LA. Listen, I'm down over wine. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Hell Yeah. Yeah. Rosé, a nice summer day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so like, what, what were you, like, what job or jobs were you doing? Like, I mean, are, are you pretty, like, kind of honed in on, like, you became an esthetician when you moved back. And then how long mm-hmm. were you in that role before you, like, you know, like, talk to me too, like, when you were, for, like, obviously Boston's a tech city. It was, you know, before you went to New York and LA and, mm-hmm. and, you know at which point we're like you know you seem like the you know like take hopefully take this right away like you, you seem like someone where like almost if if you heard like oh yeah like the tech industry is booming and like man like like the future is like software is eating the world as in, uh, mark Andreessen says of Andreessen horowitz like and and tech and automation is eating the world like you and like oh like you, know, you if you're not on if you're not on that tech ship like you know you're just gonna watch it sail and i could just see you being like Oh shit! I want to get on that ship. Like <laughs> I can do that. Uh, yeah. What was that moment? What was that moment for you? Yeah. So I was a wax specialist um, for three years, I think, two or three years, um, and I was doing really well, by the way. Um, so I was a wax specialist, and I know I based involved... on the bills I see from my from my wife when she when she does. <laughs> see, yeah, yeah, man. I ha- my clientele was amazing. I was great but, at what I did. But I you're right that. about laser. Laser eventually came in, and then laser yeah. became the new thing. She she used to yes. laser a few years ago. Yeah, so I yeah. <laughs> see, see, yeah. I was like, so my clientele. When you get laser, you can still get wax, but it has to. It can't be in the area that you're getting laser in. So right. my I started losing clientele because they're just like, well, I'm just not going to do it at all. So they just started coming in less frequently and, you know, or they wouldn't come back at all. And so I remember um, I went to this school function for my brother. And when I was walking down the hall, I entered the building and I was walking down the hall and on either side of me were posters of Obama and different Mm -hmm. quotes of him talking about STEM and STEAM and getting kids to learn programming and coding or whatever. 
And at the end of the hall was my brother's principal. And I was like, hey, what's this coding thing? Like, I keep hearing about it. And I think it's weird that kids are learning to code because it seems like an adult thing. Like, you go to college for it or something. Because I, I honestly, I didn't know Boston was a tech hub. I didn't know a damn thing about coding at all. So he was explaining to me, he was like, yeah, like, you need to have some sort of technological background. You should learn to code or something, or you're definitely going to get left behind. Like, we're in a digital era. Everything's going digital. And so I really thought about it. And that's when I thought about how I'm losing clients to uh, laser. And I'm like, like, holy shit, I'm really losing clients to like a machine. I'm losing my job to a machine. And that's what, like, because I was in it, I was like that person being affected um, by the digital era, you know? So I went back to my school counselor. I was like, hey, how can I get into coding? And that's when she told me about resilient coders. And funny enough, my school was in the same building as resilient coders. They're like a few floors above. And I was like, oh my God. And I, I got involved with resilient coders and boom, career took off from there. That's that's super cool. Was that 50 Milk Street? Was that that building? Yep. Oh, yep. wow. That's what that's fortuitous that it was like the same building. And so Yeah. What and I so we've had David Delmar Santiez on the podcast. And as you as you as you affectionately refer to refer to him and many do as Dell, um, <laughs> he is amazing. And there's no there's not yeah. enough words to describe him. Um right. he you know, we had a blast like jamming last year. Um actually have like some plans. Well, had some plans like pre-COVID to kind of like have get him together with some uh, there's a couple other people I've talked to on the podcast that I want to connect you with too. Like obviously no Dell, but um Roman Hackers, who who he has he's part of a group called Tech Tech for Hood. And Ooh. he is in Lawrence. And so actually this is this is a good story. So I got pitched one day for the podcast and the email was like so and so at snapinc.com like Snapchat. And I was like, Snapchat, why is Snapchat podcast? And it was come to find out they were, they're doing like PR for their kind of like their official lens creator sort of group. And, um, and I guess they had this like social good initiative. And so they pitched me Roman and they're like, Roman Hackers lives in Methuen, Massachusetts. And I was like, this is fucking weird. I grew up in Methuen. And they're like, and he does this, this coding camp and Lawrence Public Library. And I'm like, that's crazy. Cause like my wife's only exposure to a computer growing up was at Lawrence Public Library. And, you know, he's from the Dominican Republic and he immigrated here when he was 17 and he works at Phillips Health System and he's an engineer. He fell in love with computer science, like, uh, you know, when he moved to America and he's part of this group um, of, of people of color in Merrimack Valley that are teaching coding to um, underrepresented children. And there, yeah. and he's doing a, a course on like, you know, it's Snapchat lens uh, creation. And so kids can really experience, like see like a tangible output to like them working with zeros and ones. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So I ended up having him on the podcast too. So you might, you might, you, you oh might dig God. that one. And also like, you should meet him. So, so like Roman and like Dell, like it, you got tech for hood, you got resilient coders, like you got, you know, black tech pipeline, um, you know, there's like Larry Gennari. I'm kind of going through a few other people I want to connect you with. Larry Gennari is this lawyer I talked to last year who big, like big, like Boston tech lawyer who's such, who's such a, like, like 
beautiful dude. Like he, um, he has a, he convinced Boston college to do a course that he would teach to, um, to people who are getting out of prison who have a super hard time getting a job with their rap sheet. And he teaches them about entrepreneurship and helps them start their own businesses. Oh, I love that. Dope. Yeah. And he does like a monthly dinner, like pre COVID. I went to one of his dinners, like, like in February, like right before the, like the pandemic started and um i was just starting to get like really close with larry and like i want to get like all these people in a room and just like let fireworks go off um so anyways like we definitely definitely need to do that um and so like kind of dialing back into your your story but i just i kind of want to give you that little that like meta kind of grandiose vision i have for like this is all like you know let's all join and kind of have our you know I, i love and i'm grateful to even connect and 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 but i want to kind of connect the the some at sometimes disparate voices um of folks that have been on that are very much like minds because you know right tide lifts all boats so like let's let's fucking like solve um you know in a, you know the inequality and in, 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 in as much yeah. as we can in boston like together right and not in our own like individual lanes but you in particular paris like you already have a great relationship with David Delmar Santiez and Brazilian coders because of the camp. So I think for listeners, it'd be really, and for me, it'd be really interesting to hear from your perspective, um, what it was like kind of applying, getting into Brazilian coders, going and just talk about that, that community. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. So, um, I had to go through a hackathon in order to even be considered for the boot camp. So the whole point of the hackathon is like they're teaching you like about coding and the types of problems you can solve with that skill set and why it's so important for people of color to have that skill set. Um, but they're also checking to see, you know, like how do you respond? Are you engaged? Are you um, a good team player? Things like that. And so, but they don't tell you that. I don't even know if I should say that, but like they don't tell you that when you go to the hackathon. <laughs> but um, I was naturally like really into it and I was like, oh wow, like I didn't know you can use tech to solve these types of problems. Um, and so I ended up getting into the boot camp and that whole process of waiting to see if I got in was the worst. I was so nervous. I wanted to get in so badly. Um, and then when I found that I got in, I quit my job completely and I dedicated myself full time to the program, learning to code and sacrificing whatever I had to sacrifice. And so it was at that time, this is back in the winter of 2017. So it was uh, an eight week program. Yep. So for eight weeks, you're learning HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And so I was also like, my cohort was a bunch of other people of color who I'm learning with. Um, and it was, uh, it was amazing. We were, we were, I, I still think our cohort was the most, was the closest. Like we became a family. We were together all the time. We were always yeah. going out. We were studying together, working together. It was like, I wish I could go back to that time. That's one of my most favorite times of my life. Um, and I loved working with Leon, who's the instructor. I loved Dell. Um, and the other staff who, who worked with the Zillion Coders. Um, and so the, the program itself, it was super intense. It was an emotional roller coaster because you're taking people who, a lot of people who never touched code in their life nor knew that it existed, and you're teaching them how to do it. So yeah. it, was, it was really difficult. And, you know, but I learned a lot. 
I don't know. Like, and wow. I, I kind of learned a lot about life too, just being in that program. It really opened my eyes. And, How so? Yeah. Um, I guess, so there's something, the one thing that really, really stuck with me was about um, being able to do things yourself first. So learning, so learning how to learn and learning how I learn. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. even know that was a thing. So, you know, if I had a question with something I was stuck on or whatever, like the instructor would be like, did you, what did you try to figure it out? And I'd be like, nothing. Mm-hmm. And just, and he's like, well, I want you to try to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out in 15 minutes, come get me. And so that always stuck with me because it's like, you know, try it yourself, Google it first and then come and ask for help if you really can't figure it out and that's something that stuck with me because then I started noticing how many other people weren't like they didn't really know how to ask a question they didn't know that how to ask for help and it just taught me independence you know um, yeah. and it just kind of opened my eyes just to life on how you got to go out and get it don't expect things to just fall in your lap um I don't know. I just learned so much discipline nice. too. It was a great program. Yeah. They did a great job. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Imagine when you like did some of that research on your own, like you, you probably could ask more informed question or questions exactly. 15, min- 15 minutes later. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's easier for the instructor to help you once yeah. you know, you're really pinpointing where you're stuck. Yeah. So and it was so because I think it's up to sixteen weeks now. So like at the time you did it, it was like eight weeks. Now no, now I think it's twenty four weeks. Or is it twenty? It's like yeah, it's up in the twenties. Like I think it was sixteen last year. Now it's up in the, so it's twenty twenty four. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. It's great to see it growing. I think that um, you know, one of the things that I talked about with Dell, and I you know I was like, well, how does resilient coders grow? And he's like, well, it's certainly there's certainly plenty of um, demand, you know, for, for folks that, um, could come into the resilient coders funnel, if you will, and bring and ramp up efforts and help more, um, people of color to learn how to code. He goes, the the issue is, is a bit in this is, is the supply of jobs because I think, you know, for for Dell and resilient coders more broadly, you know, he's told me this, I'll kind of, you know, on, on his behalf, I'll say like, he, he very, he very much wants to ensure that people who graduate from resilient coders have jobs. And so relationships with the private sector, you know, with businesses that are um, basically prepared and committed to hire, um, you know, coders of color is essential. And so what I find very, you know, beautiful, serendipitous, but, but, you know, I'll give you credit, I think, well, planned on your part what you seem to be doing with black tech pipeline seems to be creating like sort of like a recruitment and sort of like talent sort of fostering community um yeah while simultaneously and, and you have like pipeline with 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 you know resilient coders and others like it not that there's anything right quite like resilient coders but you have pipeline but th- but you also need a second pipeline which is relationships businesses right and those businesses that feel not only comfortable but confident they're gonna get not just good talent that knows how to code but like type of talent that maybe aren't used to that are like fucking like loyal and gritty and like will work their asses off like i like to go on a side tangent here like i've I've lost the arguments with my colleagues before not to hire Ivy leaguers. And one time we hired an Ivy leaguer and like, 
No offense to people who went to Ivy League that work hard, but like worst employee I ever ha- had on my team was someone who went to Ivy League. Like, give me like the community call. Like, you know, so we like I've personally had the most success like training people and working with people that like, you know, like two of the guys on my team that like went to like state school in New York or like have become like two of the best like media professionals that fabrics like put out in the last six years. Like it doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter what you look like. It matters like what's inside you and that like those soft skills matter. Right. And so um, I'm painting like a broad sort of like canvas here, but like to be specific in, in thinking a bit about what you're building a black tech pipeline, talk to me about the experience you had in the first role and maybe a couple roles tech and how you felt sort of a bit alienated and maybe not, and maybe not accepted and what that's taught you, but how it's armed you to be a particularly, um, to be particularly well suited to go in and confidently speak to businesses and say, listen, like you have a diversity problem and you need to solve it by yourselves. And let me talk to you about like what it feels like to be like the one, like, black coder at a company that like doesn't get invited out and doesn't feel in place. Like, here's how you fix that. And so, you know, what have you experienced and how's that sort of shaping your view? And then talk a bit about like, you know, how we address that. And it sounds like maybe how we address that in part is how sort of black tech pipeline evolves. Yeah. Um, so I moved to that company a little after, like actually a few months after Hill Holiday. I left till holiday in August and I got hired in November, December, something like that. I got hired um, by someone who actually someone, one of the mentors at Resilient Coders had a friend who was CTO at us at the startup I was working at. And he reached out to me. He was like, Hey, looking for a job. I was like, yeah, went over and met them. They were really dope and they hired me. Um, And so my team, the team of engineers specifically was really dope. Like no problem there at all. Um, yeah. the issue was with everyone else. So, um, again, only black person there, um, all, all white women. And because they felt that because it was like all women, they felt that they were very diverse and doing the damn thing. And I was like, hmm. oh, if you, if you saw it from my perspective, you would think very differently, you know? Interesting. Um, well, how, yeah, how did that, so, how did that come across? Like I, I can, I hear like, so there are a bunch of women that's like, all right, like there's a lack of, you know, there's a gender, you know, um, lack of, you know, there's a gender issue in tech too, but because they were part of women at a tech company, did they feel a sense of entitlement to like being like, like righteous, like diversity minded, like entrepreneurs, yeah. like, and how did that manifest and what kind of behavior? Yeah. So like they would just, they're just open about it. It's like, yeah, we're women. We're doing this woman led, blah, blah, you know, um, like self-congratulatory, but, like patting right. themselves in the back. Like, okay. Right. Insisting right. upon the most. Yeah. And I see huh. this in a lot of tech companies, if I'm being honest, it's always like, we're diverse oh, yeah. because we have women. It's like, oh, those women are all white though. So, oh, uh, yeah. you know, so yeah. that was an issue, but like I dealt with a lot of things that, and it's really, this is a hard thing, uh, like explaining microaggressions um, mm-hmm. to people who aren't black because a lot of people don't get it. And it's like, I dealt with a lot of things where you're like, well, that doesn't mean they're racist. It's like, well, actually, like it does, but you, you wouldn't get it because you're not, you're, you don't have to deal with it and you've never needed to experience it. So you're not going to understand. 
Um, you know, but yeah, I would be kept out of a lot of conversations. There'll be conversation. Literally I go to the table and they're making plans um, about going after work, not looking at me once. Um, I dealt with uh, managers, like people in the leadership positions, just speaking to me differently than they Mm -hmm. would everyone else. It's almost like, I felt like they were talking to me like I was some child who needed to pay attention or else I'd, there'd be repercussions or something like that, you know? Like, right. I always felt like they were talking to me like I was dumb and I hated that. Um, or that it was like very fake and it just wasn't genuine. Yeah. Um, and there's this one particular moment where this white girl, I guess she was talking about um, an Uber Eats, a, a uh, an Uber Eats person who was black accidentally mm-hmm. rang her doorbell. He mm-hmm. was at the wrong address, pretty much. So he was at the wrong at the at the wrong doorbell. She opens the door and he's saying, "Oh, did you order this?" And she's like, "She's like, no, ill, get the f off my porch." And she slams the door on his face and calls the cops on him. And so, fuck. and and her and all the other white coworkers are laughing about it. And it's like, oh, you think it's funny that you're the reason why black men are being shot by police because you report false incidents? That's funny to you? Like, you know what that's, I'm saying? Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. They hide. And I mean, well, that's yeah. not even it. That's not it. I mean, they had um, a game, like some baby picture game. Uh, for someone's baby shower, so they collected a bunch of baby photos and everyone, so you could guess who's who. Okay. Obviously, you're going to guess who I am because I'm the only black person in the damn company. Um, right. But even still, they left my picture out of the game. They they never put it in. Why? And I don't I don't know if it's yeah. because they thought I'd be uncomfortable because obviously everyone would know who I am because I'm the only black person. But they like, didn't even don't... engage with engage in conversation. They just omitted Nothing. it and did never. Yeah. Coward. Exactly. That's that's cowardice. Yeah. So very. Uh, yeah. And it was just a shitty experience. I'm being that Uber delivery story team, really but... pisses me off. Cause, cause yeah. It, yeah. The like the race issue gives another layer to it. But like I I I, I am ter- often turned off. Like you know I was at a tech event. I was at C. I was at the Consumer Electronics Show. I've gone the last mm-hmm. seven years. God knows if. It will happen in Vegas this coming mm-hmm. January based on COVID. But I've gone like six or seven years in a row. And it was probably like five years ago. And um, this is interesting because like the co- like color of skin is actually interesting here. Just in how like, di- you know, different people can 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 be the ones like that have, you know, whether they're racist or they're just like um, elitist. So I'm I'm a white guy at at CES and I'm in a conversation with like a few people and an in, it was actually an Indian guy, an Indian entrepreneur um, who he just went off about how like um, truck drivers were like, he started, he was just the whole thing about how automation needs to take over the trucking industry and truck drivers were lazy. And I was just like biting my tongue and biting my tongue, which I'll get to in a second. Why? And then he just went and he's like, you know, like take UPS drivers, for example. And he just goes off on like, you know, UPS drivers, like they're so stupid, you know, and they're so lazy. And he just like, he rips into like just UPS drivers. Now, mind you, my father spent 37 years driving for UPS and he just retired last year. And so like, I've, I fucking lost it. I was like, I was like, you have no fucking clue what you're talking about. I'm like, you're on your high horse. You're in your, you're in your fucking ivory tower in the Valley. 
Cause this is like right. a Silicon Valley mindset. And I'm like, you can fuck off. And I had a couple of my friends kind of calm me down from there because it could have escalated. And I like walked away. I was like, Oh shit, I'm at an event right now for work. I'm like, good thing. I work with people that like, you know, we, we, you know, we, you know, we kind of operate, um, with candor. Um, mm-hmm. but I just, I, I'm not trying to like equate that to like what, you know, what the, the black Uber del- delivery person deals with, but oftentimes is the case that those who are like in high places in technology have kind of been like, kind of like groomed into those roles. And so far, so much fewer is the case that you meet folks from like more diverse socioeconomic backgrounds generally, never mind from like diverse communities and having like different skin colors. And so I think right. the, the, the issue, cause I think the issue is really complicated because I think there are actually people of some color, not a lot, but like, like that Indian dude, that dude was a fucking asshole. And his and like right. that's like in and you know like but I don't even like how do you even describe like is that just elitism like I don't know and so I think there's so many layers of of shit we need to deal with in tech like elitism yeah. racism and they and they're all, and they individually need to be dealt with like we can't conflate them together but in right. that instance where that woman at your company like went at that Uber driver, my mind kind of triggered into that mindset of like, well, there's a couple things from him. Number one, she's a fucking elitist and she's just looking down, like she's looking down at this person because they're a delivery driver, which is fucking bullshit because she doesn't know how to practice empathy. Like this person is like grinding right now. So fuck you. And number two, like because of the color of their skin, is that why you called the cops? Or is it just because like you just don't give a shit about people who are like maybe a little bit more like blue collar? Like, what is it? Is it both? Oh, her ass was racist. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah was racist. like, like, so, like, what, like, how? Yeah, so, so, there's that many levels to your just like, like, rotten human humanity. Um, right. Yeah. So sorry, I, I, I'm just like going off, going no, off. Oh, I feel you're, you're you. My go fire. off. <laughs> uh, do your thing. You know, like yeah. it's so yeah. infuriating, and uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like it happens right and then you're like this person shouldn't work here this person shouldn't even have a damn job like you should be fired for saying that you know but that will never happen and and people are gonna say oh and people will also say oh that's not racism they didn't you know they're just telling a story you know it can't impact their job that way and it's like that's always gonna be the dominant voice it's like the, the white person, they're always going to have the dominant voice. They're going to have whatever excuse they have. And it's like, okay, well, the black person has to sit here and endure it and keep working under people who truly really don't believe that their lives matter. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, it's such a pride and ego hit. It just sucks. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to work here. I don't want to work for you. Why should I slave yeah. away for you? You know, right. I'm not in change. I, I hate it. Yeah. So, so how do we, so let's talk about how we one brick at a time we build, we build a better future. So like what, you know, what what you're doing now, like, you know, in, in the role you're at, you know, where, you know, where are you focusing most of your energy and then, and then also talk about black tech pipeline and kind of what you have, have planned and like, how are you kind of building, um, a, a framework to help help companies kind of like open their minds and like 
reorient their practices, but also kind of help kind of facilitate that growing community that you are helping nurture, like into the hope, you know, hopefully more abundance of jobs for people of color in Boston. Yeah. I mean, this, we have such a long way to go. And so I'm only focused on like one piece of it. Cause I could, right. I will live and die 10 times before we can address every single issue that there is to exist. Um, you know, within racism and the systematic oppression, all that. But um, for me, what I'm focused on is really, I want I want to focus on retention, but I also want to focus on getting people just into the door. Mm-hmm. So um, I am helping people get jobs where they're working at these different startups and tech companies, which is great because that name going on their resume will help them get their foot in many other doors, right? Yeah. Um, what sucks is that you know you get into these companies wow like you have the name on the resume but while you're there you're dealing with so many um different things such as exclusion and microaggressions and racism and prejudice and sexism and whatever whatever you know mm-hmm. um and so for me personally for me i'm going to it will depend on just how bad it gets but i will for me i will deal with it until I find something better, you know, and that's just me personally, because I have a lot of pride and I'm just going to use you for what it's worth and get the fuck out, you know? Um, but that shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case. And it's not going to be the case for everybody. And so for me, when a company, I have different services, so I have a recruitment service, right? So, um, if a company wants to work with me, they have to agree to, um, 90, the first, it's not 90 days consecutively, but they have to agree to diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. And so if you hire a candidate out of my talent database, then for the first 90 days on the job, I am doing biweekly check-ins with the candidate and the company. Um, and those check-ins really consist of me asking the candidate, you know, what's your experience like? You know, what do you wish the company would improve? you know mm-hmm. what are the different experiences you've gone through since you've been here so far like it's real i really just want to know mm-hmm. are they being racist are they treating you like an individual are they welcoming are they trying you know i want to make so sure it's sort of an act feedback that, loop right i want to make yeah. sure these people aren't just hiring you to say hey look we have a black person like, our, yeah we had some here. better numbers yeah no right that's that's not right enough. so I'm taking all the feedback and I'm relaying it to whoever I'm connected with at the company internally. And I'm letting them know, like, listen, you know, you're doing well here and here, but this person, this candidate in particular, this is what they're dealing with. These are, um, this is what you need to address. This is what you need to fix. These are other communities you can get involved with. Here's um, suggestions on how you should be handling these types of situations. Um, So I'm doing things like that um, with these companies to hold them accountable and, you know, either take the feedback or you don't and do something with it. And that's going to tell me everything I need to know about you. And that'll go as far as me ever working with you again or recommending you to anyone. Um, So, so that's something that um, I'm doing. That's that's great. Do you, can you name any companies that have embraced that framework and kind of brought you on in that capacity or, or is it early, early state, early for that i don't i can't name who the companies yeah. are yet mm-hmm. once okay. i once i launch i'll be able to all right cool and you let me know 
I'll make sure I help, I'll be helpful to get it to like the, you know, Boston Business Journal and Boston All like yeah, writers yeah. and folks. Like I think um, help get that those initial use cases out to market and then like sharing, you know, your story sort of re- mm-hmm. with repetition and see over time as it evolves, I think, you know, hopefully can attract more like minds and build more um, pipeline uh, you know, supporting what, what it is that you're building. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's like the recruitment piece that I've been doing, yeah. but then, what I what I what's new with this platform is that yeah. I'm launching a job board. There's gonna be like a resources page and an events page. So the job board is not like a typical like post your job your openings and that's that. It's not like that. So for us, it's gonna you're gonna post your um, company on our job board, and mm-hmm. when a user clicks that company, it's gonna go to a landing page that I work on with someone at the company. And on this landing page, it's gonna have you know, photos of your team and the products that you're working on, what problems are you solving? And we're going to go into depth about like, you know, tell us about your company values. Tell you, tell us about your diversity and inclusion initiative. What are your beliefs? What do you practice? Um, right. What's your vetting process and why? Like we're, we're going to get in, in depth about all of that stuff because what happens is like, and this has happened to me so many times is I'll go through a vetting process with a company. And then at the end of it is when I get my company tour. And I tore around and I'm like, holy shit, if I get this job, I'm literally going to be the only black person here. And that is so uncomfortable. And so yeah. I want to know ahead of time, what does this company look like? What, you know, how, yeah. how, what, how are they practicing becoming more diverse and inclusive? Like, I want to know these things and I want to be able to opt out of applying there if they haven't done a damn thing. You know, right. if that's not one of their values, if that's not one of their beliefs, I don't want to work there. Yeah. So I want to give people that option to like really get an in-depth look at if they um, want to work there or not. And, you know, what are they doing to improve their, their work culture? In a lot of ways, do you have to work closely with HR, like to kind of have a, a lens into seeing the broad sort of like scope of the culture? Yeah. Either HR or like the recruitment team who works closely yeah. with HR, you know? Yeah. yeah. Got it. Yeah, that's really interesting. What, what, and what's like, can you speak a bit to, so the community that, you know, the, this, maybe a little bit, a little bit of the size, the scope of your community that, that, and, and how you're facilitating, you know, community blog these days. You, you mentioned um, Slack. You also mentioned Discord, right? So you're kind of like, maybe some like, you know, kind of like community building activities like around like digital games. like what, what is it that, um, like for folks and, you know, people of color that listen to the podcast that maybe haven't yet discovered, um, but, but are looking to participate in, uh, black tech pipeline, like what are some of the community initiatives you're doing now? Can you just speak a little bit more to like your community in general? Yeah. So I have, um, there's the discord, which is huge and really, uh, I, I, it can give someone anxiety because it's so big. So <laughs> we, we've moved over to Slack, which has over a thousand members, but it's a little more organized and it's, it's, um, it's really a supportive uh, community that wants to help you learn and grow within the industry. So we have a lot of like channels dedicated to different things like front end development, back end development, DevOps, data science, things like that. Um, where you can go and ask questions, learn from the community. Um, 
get updated on events and, you know, jobs that are out there and things like that. So that's a way to really like communicate firsthand with the community. But then if you get on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, we have a black tech Twitter bot. And if you follow the bot on Twitter, anytime someone tags black tech Twitter, which is tons of times a day, you're going to, you're going to um, find like so many people within the community that you can follow, nice. you can follow along their journey. You can engage with them, build relationships that way. Um, there's the black tech Twitter thread on my profile. It's pinned to my profile. You can find like thousands of people in that thread who are in the community that you can also follow along with and engage with. Um, and then we will have the, this new platform. Um, but really like communicating one-to-one with someone, I would suggest coming into Slack um, Mm -hmm. and getting on Twitter. So that's where we're starting out with that. There's so much more I want to do, but one, yeah. you know, one step at a time. Yeah. Well, yeah. One, yeah. That's like one step at a time, you know, brick by brick. Um, totally. Um, I, I would definitely, I mean, this, that's what I'm bought. That's what Boston speaks up is. I have, if you, maybe yeah. if you started to gather, I, I, I'm an aspirational dude. I got a lot, I got a lot more bricks. I want to pile on top of this bad boy, but you know, as we're approaching 50 episodes and starting to have, have like a good body of work with a lot of people that are focused on like, you know the solving diversity issues in tech and just socioeconomic change more generally like i, I mean before covid hit i was you know plotting out some event stuff this year i think like you know the the idea too and something i'll throw out to you is like you know consider consider me a partner as you know i say that humbly and you know gratefully if you would consider that like in in your future um development of of black tech twitter and black pipeline like if you want to have like a so super um efficient way and in a, in a platform into sort of like you know podcast and and you want to do a limited run series and you want to t- kick me out of the host chair and host and talk to some folks from your community and do a black tech pipeline twitter series on boston speaks up like happy to help you you know produce that so like definitely you know consider me like a you know community sort of media production activation partner um yeah maybe yeah maybe we can thank you totally yeah maybe maybe we can we can uh ideate on over wine um yeah well during a cookout this summer yeah definitely um and i know and i appreciate you going going long like i i I do want to just stay on a, a little bit longer just to get your thoughts on you know certainly the black lives matter generally speaking but i think you know specific to boston you know i i you had some You've had some rather um, pointed thoughts um, regarding how Boston police and you know our, our you know Mayor Marty Walsh and sort of leaders of Boston like maybe letting us down a bit right now. Um, so like, talk about it all—the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, you know, what what are your yeah. thoughts on what are your thoughts on Black Lives Matter at, at this moment, in in particular with regards to Boston? Yeah, so I love that we're all coming together, and I'm I'm really seeing just how many allies that we have um, throughout the city. I think that's really dope, and um, they're they're also do like I've been to two protests so far, um, and but I have friends who go to um, a lot of them, and they're telling me about how like 
white people are, are creating barricades between like the cops and, and black people because we're seeing how the difference in treatment that black people are getting from the cops versus white people. Mm. And so like literally sacrificing your body um, to protect black lives, like that, that means a lot. Like that says something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, that's, as they say, that's that shit I love to see. Um, sure. So, um, but you know, there's, and then when it comes to like the whole like looting situation and stuff, um, I, I notice, I know what the media does. I know the tricks they play, you know, where they want to yeah. show like there are black people looting, but you don't show who actually threw through the brick at the store. You don't show who actually started it, but you'll, you'll catch it once you see black people running in and following along with, um, you know, everyone else who's starting to like steal from the stores and stuff. Um, and you know, I, I see police who they, um, they instigate these situations. Like they, they do things to make you angry, to get you riled up. And then something pops off and it's like, Oh, it's, it's the black lives matter movement. They're the one, they're the terrorists. They're the ones who are doing this and that. And it's like, you weren't there to see how it even began, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this isn't even just a Boston issue. This is happening everywhere. So it's, it's not even surprising to me. I think what's funny is how people think like, oh, we live in Massachusetts, we're a blue state, like uh, we're liberals, we, we believe in this and that, Democrats, blah, blah. And it's like, uh, hold on. Like you guys are, are all for that until it does come to Black Lives Matter because then you see a difference. There's a difference in tone. There's a different, um, the way you want to, the media like, pers- uh, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? Like the way they sort of like publicize it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very different from like the Me Too movement, you know? It's it's different. Yeah. The framing's been weird. Um like I yeah, like I'll I'll hear from people like I'll even hear someone I knew from Boston who who's from Boston who lives in Florida now and he's like, Oh, how's it up in Boston? I hear it's crazy and you know, people are looting and people just really aren't being safe and smart the way they're protesting and i'm just like well i get i'm like what and like where are you hearing oh i'm hearing that from my parents and like their parents are kind of like of an older generation and i don't know if they watch i don't know if they're like you know where their political leanings are like whether they're watching fox news or cnn almost doesn't matter either way like shit's being sensationalized mm-hmm. and so that's the word that comes to my mind is like everything's just being really sensationalized and, and what i mean by that is like there are like if 98% of people are peacefully protesting, but 2% of people are, you know, looting or, or there's some level of violence. It's like better TV. And so where, you know, media right. will sensationalize the 2%. They'll amplify the 2% because right. it's like, you know, it gets people, you know, leaning in at the edge of their seats to watch like, you know, the streets are in shambles. And listen, this in some cases they have been like, you know, one of my, you know, the CEO of Fabric Media was like down the streets of LA, like, like a couple weeks ago, like where after one of the protests where like shit was like wrecked. And so like, it's not mm-hmm. to say that like, that's not, it's not happening. It's just that if you by and large were to like, look at the level of coverage, media coverage that's been negative versus the level that's been positive, and you actually like had a proper accounting of just how many protests have been peaceful and positive. The mm-hmm. like the negative is getting far too much play 
on a media standpoint and that, and, 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 but, and you can say the same thing about, you know, a lot of things in politics and, 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 and things, you know, more broadly as to why, like, you know, minds have been, you know, shaped and viewpoints have been warped in this country. And so it does speak to like Mm -hmm. quite, quite a, a severe issue that exists around, um, around sort of, you know, media and how entertainment, because media and news, it's entertainment, right? Um, and it just shapes, it shapes perspectives in ways that, um, you know, can be dangerous and undermine, you know, important movements like Black Lives Matter. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's their goal, though, because yeah. racism is everywhere, you know, that's what they, they want people to fear us they want people to see like look these people are so dangerous they're so violent and they wonder why they get shot they wonder why they get arrested like that's the message they're trying to put out um and it's infuriating um but even then i mean there's there's uh, i don't know boston i don't believe in boston the way i think a lot of people do um i see it for what it is and we also have a long way to go i don't care if we're a blue state or whatever we we got yeah. issues you know yeah yeah Lots i mean you, yeah and and you walk into most any office in tech and you the issues are apparent just by the whitewash that exists like pretty broadly speaking across the whole tech ecosystem and you know what I, i'm going to share with you, you you'll probably appreciate this like i i yeah, I'm just a white dude, right? But 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 one thing I can do is can call bullshit on other white people. Like I, I, I did not expect for it to happen for this reason. But like I, I um, I just was getting sick and tired of like you know you kind of alluded to this earlier where like there's like these um like the self congratulatory group you worked with like all the the women you know startup team mm-hmm. you worked with like mm-hmm. hey like we're so progressive and like we're a bunch of you know, we're a bunch of women you know founders and and partners at a startup like. Like we, we have the sense of entitlement and we can congratulate ourselves and being so, you know, forward thinking, blah, blah, blah. Like I've seen a lot of white people, men and women, but a lot more white men post on like LinkedIn. Here's the letter that I put out for my company about how we need to end racism. Okay. All my white friends on LinkedIn, like my post and give me love because I want to end racism. And it's just like, this is, I'm actually going to read this to you. This is what I post on LinkedIn. (laughs) Hey, fellow, Hey, fellow white people, save your company statements, demanding the end of racism for internal comms only go participate in change in the background, have genuine personal conversations about ways to move the inequality in America and quit the one to many social media approach. If you identify, if you identify important causes or initiatives or personal accounts of racism from, from black people to share with the world, by all means, share those. But stop issuing self-important proclamations, placing you at the center of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, let's all stop celebrating each other publicly for words. They're just words. Just go off and do the work. I'll see you all in the background. Yes. Because shut the fuck up, everybody. Right. I know. Like, once again, you're trying to center yourself and make it about you. And it's like, God, I hate that. I was torn. You know what else I hate? Go ahead. Yeah. Go. There have been some people who are like, 
um, they're like, oh, well, you know, we need to bring more black people into the workplace because of all these fucking productivity numbers or whatever and how it sells more. What Something stupid. I'm like, so you're telling me we need to bring more black people in the workplace for your numbers and not for the sake of we're just humans. Like, yeah. like you don't think there always has to be a benefit. It's like, yeah. why, why does there need to be a benefit to not be racist? You know yeah. what? I don't understand why you can't just treat us like we're humans, just like you. But instead, you have. It's almost like I, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. It's the most aggravating thing, though. And I'm just like, is that supposed to make me feel better? You're gonna hire me because the productivity numbers will go up. Are you shitting me right now? Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And that and that I do I do hear that a lot. And like it, it's um, it's just a fucking human right rights thing and yeah and yeah and unfortunately like there's a lot of scar tissue to work for through as a society to you know for many to look in the mirror and just realize like you know it, it you know i i was a blue collar kid from Methuen who who no one no one in my family went to college and 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 um and i wear you know that blue collar chip on my shoulder but at the end of the day, like I'm a white dude in America. And so like the ability for me to like apply myself a little bit and just like be given like lots of edge towards the success that I have achieved and I'm achieving is like in large part due to the color of my skin. And it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if my family struggled financially a little bit, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and if, and I, and it doesn't matter. Like it, it, Everyone needs to fucking accept the fact that we are, you know, we are a very racist country. Boston is a racist city and it's okay if you accept it and you're working towards things to improve it. It's not okay if you're like using the Black Lives moniker as part of like just you trying to show up in the world as someone who cares. Like... No, like do something. I I was really torn about putting that LinkedIn post up. Like I even saw like one of my buddies is like a, a lawyer down in DC. His wife is works for the Department of Justice and they've been protesting every day. And and um I was like, I'm like, well, first of all, like, is this, you know, okay, you know, personal brands wise, like in in two, like, am I part of the problem if I post something that's gonna get liked by people? I'm not doing this to get but I but but and he was like Oh, people need to hear that. And two, like they kind like like they kind of need to be called out. And and if and if it gets some attention, then like cool. And it, and it actually happens. I'm like, all right, fine. But I'm like, that's the only type of thing I want to show up on the world with. Like, right? I don't right. like anything. Like you know. And and so, um, and I guess back to my point about the you know the podcast as a platform. Like you know, consider like this conversation as like I'm introducing you to the Boston Speaks Up community. In part, which a large part of that community is the Boston O community, sort of the Boston Business Journal community, because that's where we are distributed through those media channels. Um, So in the future, like, you know, you know, I I mentioned this to A.K. Aquaker, who I just talked to recently, and he's actually connected to Mayor Marty Walsh. And I was like, dude, you need to do your unbranded framework with him, which is like kind of unpacking people like way beyond all the like into the many layers that exist, like what we've just 
in an hour and a half discussion, like, which has been awesome. Like I, I know you a lot better than I ever could have known you if I had just like read your website and, and, and perused your LinkedIn. Like I can only glean insights and draw some like false assumptions about like who you might be. Right. And mm-hmm. I think it's really valuable that, um, I think it's valuable that um, people of color have, you know, one thing, you know, it's, it's like one thing I can do, like there's this Boston speaks up platform. We have a solid audience like beyond Boston, like, great. I want to have people like Paris on like, and I'm so grateful you're on, but also like we didn't have conversations across aisle, and like some people reached out to me and, and like that are, that are like, you know, Oh, like so-and-so like they're white, but they're like a real big leader on diversity in Boston. Like, that's cool. But like, I don't really want to hear from them right now. Um, but maybe right. when I am ready for them to be heard on the platform, maybe I'll have like my buddy AK because like, I think it will be a better conversation if like, like AK is like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Marty Walsh. Maybe I can interview him for the podcast. I'm like, cool, do it. Like I shouldn't yeah. interview him. You should, you know? And like, so like also like people who, you know, look like you Paris, like have them on the podcast. Like you want to co-host a show, do it. But also like people across the aisle that maybe you align with or you want to challenge like and they're open to having a discussion like you let me know uh, mm-hmm. but I, i'm very interested in kind of like leaning into the that potential sort of partnership a bit and, and i'm saying it purposely like um while we're like on if you will because i think um you know maybe we'll hear from people too they're like oh you know like that's a good idea or you should you know paris needs to meet so-and-so like i did have paris talk to you know, Brian Halligan from HubSpot, you know, like his name keeps coming up as someone who's been really progressive on diversity and inclusion for a while. And I'm like, that's cool. But like, no, like, I don't think people need to hear a Saxer video interview Brian Halligan right now, but maybe they right. need to hear like Paris Chandler interview, you know, and maybe you, there's pointed questions that you can ask. And there's a more like across the aisle conversation that, that I can't have um, with certain people. So anyways, just kind of sharing a little bit of like, like the vulnerable state I feel in right now is like, all right, I, I started this podcast a couple of years ago. It's kind of an interesting place. And I want to appropriately and very mindfully um, foster important conversations right now. And, and, and I, I sort of seek um, new friends like yourself to, uh, to participate, you know, as you see fit moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Cool. Um, and I would also love to have you as a resource on our new platform so that people can go on and listen yeah. to your podcast, maybe come on even yeah. as guests if you're yeah. open to it. I would love it. I would love, like, consider the black, consider Boston Speaks Up um, as a nice, warm um, pipeline for Black Tech Pipeline. I would love, I would love for that. I mean, I, and I'd very, very gratefully, I'd be honored to, you know, participate in what you're building, like consider me like a partner in crime, um, a partner in change would probably be a better way to put it, but yeah. 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 Cool. Um, and, and, and offline we'll have to discuss in the, in the, I'm thinking, uh, mid July, I want to have like, I want to have a little, have a little cookout. Um, I'm just in Beverly. So like 15 minutes out of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to have you, would love to have you over sometime. Yeah, I will come with some wine. We'll have nice. a nice chat. <laughs> cool. cool. Awesome. Um, Paris, this has been a pleasure. Really, really appreciate it and looking forward to sharing this. Thank you for having me on. This is dope. Yeah. I loved it. Nice yeah. and transparent. That's the way I yeah. like it. Right on. Yeah, likewise. 
All right, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, take care. Bye. All right, you too. Cheers, Boston. 